Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to church. It's a new year and a new series called Shaken and Stirred, and we're excited. We're excited about what it is that the Lord has to say to us as we dive into the book of Revelation. And I want you to freak out, all right? I know that as soon as I say the word revelation, some people start to get a little bit nervous, okay? We're not really sure what to do revelation sometimes. It can be a little scary. A lot of Christians seem to avoid it, just kind of actively avoid it because there's dragons and there's griffins and there's golden statues and there's all this stuff that we're just not sure what to do with. So we park it. We put it on a shelf and we pretend like it doesn't exist. And it's a tragedy. I hope you know that. It's a tragedy because it's the word of God. And it's just as relevant for us today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. You know, we had a beautiful time a couple of weeks ago on staff retreat as we gathered together and said, Lord, what what is it that you have to say to us? And our prayer during the entire week was, give us ears to hear. Because Jesus, we want to know what it is that you're saying to us as individuals and as a church. And this series is really just an extension of that. As a church, a whole church, as a body, we're setting aside some time to listen to the still, small voice of God. That's why we're making our way through the seven letters in the book of Revelation. But here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to come and to listen to these things, but to distance ourselves from this or to think that maybe that Jesus is actually speaking to someone else. And so walk away unchanged. That's actually a decision that you have to make in your own heart. Where you come humbly before God and you say, you know what, Jesus, I'm determined I'm desperate to hear what it is that you have to say to me tonight. Ultimately, I pray because you, like me, want to see God do something awesome in this place and in your own life. When I first started missions a number of years ago now, I read a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by a guy named Jim Simbala. It's an amazing book. And he says this, and he says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. That's what was inside. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without ever seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I don't know about you, but I want to see God do something incredible. I want to see him transform our city. I want to see him do greater things than I could possibly dream of or imagine. So as we start 2019, I'm saying, Jesus, speak to me. Mold me and shape me as uncomfortable as that might be because he might challenge me. And he might call me away from some things and he might, might call me in, into something new and we don't always like that. But I want to see God do something incredible. So as we start 2019, I'm saying, Jesus, speak to me. You know, every passage in this series ends with the same phrase, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the thing. Every one of you has ears, except my wife, but you know what? She's got a hearing aid. So I reckon that still counts. I reckon the Lord would just let that one slide on by, okay? That means all of us, he who has ears, that's everybody. We're going to stop and we're going to listen. We're going to spend some time attuning ourselves to what the Spirit might actually have to say to us. Because I believe he does have something to say to us. 
I believe he has something to say to each and every one of you. Before we get into our passage, why don't we pray? Our Father, it's one thing to say that we want to hear from you and it's a totally another thing to actually come before you, to humble ourselves and to focus in on you and to remove the distractions and to find the courage and the conviction to actually say, Jesus, whatever it is that you say to me, I'm good with that and actually I'm going to put it into action. We don't want to be simply hearers of the word, Lord. We want to be doers of the word. But first and foremost, we know we need to actually hear. So with this place, through this passage in our hearts, Jesus, we pray by power of Holy Spirit, speak. Through this entire series, we pray, speak to us, your people. Amen. Have you got your Bibles here? Revelation chapter 2. First letter to the church in Ephesus. It'll be up on the screen. If for some reason you didn't bring a Bible, like you're a heathen or something. Or hey, you might be brand new to church, and in which case that's fine, okay? So that's fine. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false, that you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love, Remember the height from which you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor, you hate the practices, not the people, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here we are. We have this letter written to the church in Ephesus, penned by the apostle John, but dictated by Jesus. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, which, by the way, are the angels, the messengers that delivered his letters. And for that to make sense, you've got to understand that at this stage in his life, the Apostle John had been exiled to the island of Patmos. He couldn't visit them in person anymore. So he gave, he sent angels, which literally translates messengers, to deliver his letters to the seven churches. He might keep in touch with them. And what's abundantly clear to us, but, is that actually, that he's just the mouthpiece that there is a greater authority that stands behind these words, behind these letters, because they're Jesus' words. And that's significant because it means that Jesus didn't establish the church and then just abandon it. Now it says he walks among the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches, which means that Jesus walks among us. But he's here. 
He's not off somewhere in the cloud, just kind of passively watching us, desperately trying to advance the gospel. No, he's here, actively involved. And so he seeks to encourage and correct his church. And he starts out, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. See, this was a church that was working hard for the kingdom. That endured persecution, they gave of themselves again and again. They were dedicated to the work of God, dedicated to the kingdom, to the gospel. So Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. And I don't know about you, but I read those words and I find it incredibly encouraging. To know that Jesus is watching and all the blood, sweat, and tears in ministry and in serving him aren't for nothing. To know that actually my king sees them all. To be honest, ministry can be really hard sometimes. Maybe you come and welcome people every week and you smile and you shake people's hands and you try to be friendly. When you go home and think to yourself, man, am I actually achieving anything? I mean, does it even matter? Does anybody even notice what I'm doing? Well, Jesus wants you to know that it matters to him. He sees your hard work. He sees every handshake, every smile. He sees every sacrifice that you make, every act of love and service. He sees it all. And it matters to him. You know, there are some really hardworking people in this church. People who serve faithfully. Uh, who give up their time, who pour their passion and their energy into the ministries of this place and who make it better as a result. So I want you to know that it matters. I know it's probably not always easy. I know you're probably not always feeling it. Sometimes the last place that I want to be on a Friday night is here running around with 12ies. Or here on a Sunday morning, have a conversation with a seven-year-old. It's not that interesting. I pretend like it is, but it's not. It's really not, let's be honest. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I see your perseverance. I see that even when you'd really rather be at home because you're tired, you'd rather actually just stay at home and just watch TV and stay on your couch. I see that actually you're here and you're serving faithfully. And maybe not here, but elsewhere. You're serving faithfully. I see every good work, every sacrifice. I see it all. I find that incredibly encouraging. And I hope that you would be blessed by that, encouraged by that as we start 2019, that Jesus sees it all. Every sacrifice, every good work. And it matters to him. He goes on to say, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. In other words, you don't celebrate sin, you pursue holiness. And you want nothing to do with people who claim to be apostles or teachers, but are not. In other words, I know that you've had discernment. That's what you've shown, you've shown discernment. You've actually guarded yourself against false teachers, which is ironic. Because if you read 1 Timothy, you'll see that Paul actually spends about four chapters on false teachers because they had no discernment. They were just lapping up every heresy. What's that? Jesus isn't really... Yeah, sure, we'll take that and and over here. They're just lapping it up, right? No discernment at all. 
And then he gets here and he says, you know what? That's not the case anymore. You don't just nod your head and agree with what everybody says to you. You test what people say to you. That's why you don't like the practices of the Nicolaitans because you've tested their practices. You test what they say. You show discernment. And there's encouragement in that for us. Church, I encourage you, never accept what someone is saying just because of where they say it from. The pulpit doesn't equal perfection. And I'm not excluding myself from that. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. Now, I try my best to research and to faithfully present to you the word of God. But you should never stop being discerning. Don't just accept what someone says to you. Test what I say. Test what anyone says and do it with the word of God. If someone contradicts the word of God... If they pick and choose, they take verses completely out of context, don't listen to them. You've got to own your own faith, your own spiritual journey, your growth. If somebody adds to the gospel, don't listen to them. Show discernment. A false teacher doesn't actually want you to be discerning. They want you to shut off your brain and just accept what they're saying. But here Jesus says, you know what? I praise you for your discernment. And there's a sense of pride. He's saying you've grown so much. There's all of this good stuff. You're working really, really hard. You're staying faithful in your doctrine. You're showing discernment. There's all of this really awesome stuff. But then he goes on to say, and yet. There's always an and, right? There's always a but. There's an and, something in there. And yet I hold this against you. That you've forsaken the love that you had at first. That's verse 4. He's saying you're doing so much right. You're doing all this amazing stuff. You've grown an enormous amount. And I see all of that. And yet, you've forsaken your first love. The passion, the fire is fading. I don't think they'd abandoned God altogether. I don't think they'd walked away. I mean, the word that he uses there is agape. It says you've forsaken, you've left behind the agape love that you had at first. You guys would know that agape love is the highest form of love. It's the perfect love that God has for each and every one of us. It's a selfless love. It's not a sexual love, that's eros. It's not even a brotherly affection, a brotherly love, that's filio. This is greater than that. This is a love that puts the other person first, that gives and respects nothing in return. It's a sacrificial love. And the greatest example that we have is actually the cross. You look at the cross and you see agape love in its purest form. That the God of the universe, holy and blameless would actually lay down his life to set us free. That's agape love in its purest form. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 breaks it down for us like this. It says, agape love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. 
that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape love never fails. When Jesus is saying, you used to love me like that. You used to love one another like that. But you've forsaken it. You've left it behind. You've settled for something less. You're still here. You're still serving. You're still doing the right stuff. But the passion is gone. The fire is dwindling. And I know that in this room tonight, there are some of you who know exactly what Jesus is saying. Because actually, that's you. And I don't say that from a place of judgment because you know what? I've been there. I wish I could say that each and every day I'm just on fire for Jesus. But you know what? I'd be lying. My mum would be angry. Don't make your mum angry. Don't lie, okay? That's just not true. There have been seasons in my life where I just felt dry. Where I've struggled to get into the word. And the Lord has seemed so far away. That I've been through those seasons. I know what that's like. And yet Jesus says, I hold it against you. In other words, I rebuke you for it. And that's incredibly challenging. But Jesus is saying, you know what? It's not okay. It's not okay to just drift through life with God on the fringe. That our intimacy with him is something that we have to guard. And it's something that we have to fight for. It's like any relationship. The problem is that for some of you, that that's actually the relationship that you put the least amount of effort into. And God is there, but he's like some kind of awkward third wheel. And just kind of tags along as, as you go through life. It's just not the way that it's meant to be. No joy there. Jesus is saying you've left behind the love that you had at first and I hold it against you. I hope that that would actually sit heavy with you. That Jesus would say you left behind the love that you had at first and I hold it against you. It's a charge that I bring against you. And I'm telling you that you need to get it back. This is something worth fighting for, that you need to get that passion, that fire back. Let's pick it up in verse five. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Church, you could be doing all the right things. You could know your Bible inside and out. You could be serving and coming to church, but that doesn't come out of a place of love. It's meaningless. It's nothing. You might be sitting there thinking, oh man, that's a, that's a little harsh. Just look at verse five. It says, if you do not repent, 
Don't change this. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I'll remove your church. I'll close the doors. That's how serious Jesus is about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is pretty clear. Jesus is pretty clear. You could be doing all the right things. You could be doing all kinds of amazing things for God, but if that doesn't flow out of love, it's meaningless. It's like you're going through the motions, but Jesus looks at the heart above all things. The heart above all things. So if your heart's not in the right place, he's not interested in what you're doing for him. We've got to constantly remind ourselves that following Jesus isn't about what we do for him first and foremost. It's about our relationship with him. Now, out of that relationship, out of that love, everything else flows. That loving relationship is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus says, remember how it used to be. Look back when the fire was there and see how far you've fallen. Why does he say that? See, this isn't something that happens overnight. It's subtle. So often we have no idea it's happening until we actually stop and look back. We reflect and we see the joy and the passion and the intimacy and the trust that we used to have, the love that we used to have. Ignorance isn't bliss. It's kind of something that we say a lot. It's dumb. Okay, you shouldn't say it. Don't say it, okay? Ignorance isn't bliss. It's incredibly dangerous. If you don't know that anything is wrong, then you'll do nothing to fix it. Ignorance isn't bliss. Bliss, it's incredibly dangerous. So he says, look back. Stop, reflect, look back. See how far you've fallen and then repent. It's about so much more than just saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry. Repentance is about a change in direction. I was going this way, but you know what? It's not working out for me. I feel dry. I feel empty. I feel distant from God. The fire, the passion is gone. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to make changes. I'm going to go back to the things I used to do. And I really hope that you notice that. Because Jesus is saying there's a connection between the things you do, the way that you live your life, and the love that you have for the Lord as a result. And Jesus says, get back to the things that you used to do. Fill your life with things that ignite your passion for me. Fill your life with the things that ignite your passion for me. 
know, when people fall in love, they do some pretty weird, crazy things. I think we all know that, right? We've seen people who fall in love. Remember Trisha Kush called it the dumb drug, wasn't it? People get dumb, do weird things. When I first started dating Anna, I, I pretended like I, I liked Grey's Anatomy for nearly two years. That's a true story right there. It's downright sinful. I actually feel really shameful telling you right now. Pretty sure it was harmful for my soul. But, here's the but, right? But that's what you do when you're in love. You lie to people. No, I'm only joking. That's, that was joking. I was joking about that. That's what you do when you're in love. You do things that you actually don't enjoy just so you can spend time with the other person, right? You want to spend time together. You, you think about each other. Even when you're not together, you have a deep-seated desire to know the other person more and more and more. You do crazy things to show affection, like cook a three-course Indian meal from scratch, which, by the way, is something that Anna did for me. She tricked me, and I mean that. And I'm, not, I'm not joking. She tricked me into thinking that she was some kind of gourmet chef. But I have never got that Indian again. Not even once. <laughs> not even once. But that's what you do when you're in love. You do these kind of crazy things. You make up excuses to spend time together. So for Anna and I, I met her at Bible college. We started doing our Genesis readings together. They weren't that exciting on our own. They were slightly more exciting together. But we just started coming together on a Tuesday before our class, before our lectures, and we'd do our Genesis readings together. Which is lame, I know. But that's what you do when you think, I really like this person. I really want to spend more time with them. So what about God? What about that relationship? Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Remember how you were hungry for more of God in your life? Remember how you had this desire to read the Bible because you wanted to spend time with the God of the universe that had just changed your life? And you wanted to know him more. Remember when you had such a, a childlike faith and belief in God that you would pray and actually believe that he'd answer? Remember when, when worship just bubbled out of you because of how grateful you were for the grace and mercy of God? Remember the things that you did to spend time with the Father, things that you did to ignite that passion and grow in your love more and more. Jesus is saying you've got to get back to those things. You know, one of the biggest problems for couples is that they stop going on dates. They stop spending intentional time together. They stop serving one another and trying to get them to know one another. And they just start coexisting. So often we do the exact same thing with God. Not pursuing him. Not desperate to know him more and more. It's just there. We're coexisting with God. That is so much less than what he wants for you. Jesus is saying, remember the love that you had at first. We capture that fire. Capture that fire. Eternal life is waiting. I've done everything. My greatest desire is to bless you and to lead you into life. We'd only have ears to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us. I want to invite the band to come back up on stage.
Here's what I want to finish with. You know, one of the greatest gifts to Anna and I over the last six months has actually been our, our Mondays, which is weird to say, I know, but all of us as pastors, ministry leaders, we take Mondays off, everybody together. And it just so happens that that is Seb's daycare day. I'm not saying I planned it that way, but I planned it that way, okay? It's not that I don't enjoy spending time with my boy sitting right there. I love my boy. I love spending time together as a family. But it meant that Anna and I had a day that was set aside just for us. And I love it. So we drop Seb off at daycare. Get out of the car. Bless you. Don't come back too soon. And then we go out for coffee. Because that's our favorite thing to do. We don't have that much in common, right? I like sport. She thinks it's a waste of time. She likes to read books. I can't really read, okay? So we don't have that much in common, but we like binge watching TV. That's something. Really doesn't even, some of it's terrible, but binge watching TV. And we like to go out for coffee, not McDonald's. Don't want to offend anybody, not McDonald's, but just real coffee, okay? So we go to Cheeky Boys or Duck Duck Goose or something like that. And we spend some real quality time together. And it's just been refreshing for our relationship. It's reminded me why I fell in love with her in the first place, because that's what we used to do. Pre-Seb, when it was a little easier, a little less stressful, a little more fun. We used to go out for coffee together all the time. Here's the thing. More time that we spend together, the more that I've felt loved, the more that I've wanted to express love. It's a cycle of ever-increasing love that's given and received, and it's beautiful. Because it's not something that I have to work hard to do. It's something I want to do. That I want her to know how much I love her because I feel loved. I want to express it. And it's exactly the same with us and God. 1 John chapter 4 says this, that we love because He first loved us. Got to get that in your head. So we love God, and then as a part of that, we love our brothers and sisters because God first loved us. That's a response that we make to the incredible love that God pours out on us each and every day, which means the key to recapturing that agape love for the Lord is to position yourself before Him in such a way that you might be filled afresh with the agape love of God. And I know that's counterintuitive. I'm not saying that we don't have a part to play in that. The things that we do position us. But you've got to remember, agape love is the perfect love of God. In and of myself, I cannot do that. I'm not capable of agape love. I just can't produce it. I'm broken. All I can do is receive it and soak in it. So out of the overflow, I might be able to give it. Here's what I want us to do. As the band leads us in worship again, I want to invite you to posture yourself that you might receive from God tonight. Open hands, it's it's a sign. It's an outward manifestation of an inward commitment to receive from the Lord. As we worship, I invite you. I mean, you're own person, you can do what you want, but I invite you to be a little bit courageous and to posture yourself with open hands before God that you might receive the Father's love afresh tonight. That He might remind you of the depth of love that He has for you. That He might fill you again to the brim 
that it might flow out, overflow out back to him and into the lives of those around you. Let's pray. Our Father is always starts because of you it's all because of you that you created us you created this world you revealed yourself to us you drew us to yourself by power of Holy Spirit you saved us you redeemed us you paid the price and you brought us home All of that is you. You poured your love out afresh upon us each and every day. Father, we will never truly understand the depth of love that you have for us. But I pray tonight, as we worship, I pray as we posture ourselves, hands open to receive the love that you have for us, I pray, Jesus, that you would encounter us you'd fill this place, fill us with your love, that you would remind us, open our eyes afresh, open more to the depth of love that you have for us. That as you fill us, it might overflow out of us and reignite our passion and our fire for you. This I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.